Section thirteen of the Chouans by Honore de Balzac. Translated by Ellen Marriage. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Read by Bruce Peary. Chapter two H. The Marquis sent searching glances round the company, observed the excitement among them, went from Mademoiselle de Vernoy, and left Madame du Gois to take his place at her side. The young chief's sarcastic smile did not disturb the treacherous mask of good humor upon her features. Just as she came, Francine uttered a cry, which she herself promptly stifled. Mademoiselle de Vernoy beheld with astonishment her faithful country girl dash into the dining-room. She looked at Madame du Gois, and her surprise increased when she saw the pallor that overspread the face of her enemy. Curious to learn the reason of this hasty flight, she turned towards the embrasure of the window, followed thither by her rival who wished to lull any suspicions which an indiscretion might have awakened, and who smiled upon her with indescribable spitefulness as they returned together to the hearth after both had glanced over the landscape and the lake. Marie had seen nothing which justified Francine's departure and Madame du Gouin was satisfied that she was being obeyed. The lake, from the brink of which Marchater had appeared in the courtyard when the lady called him forth, went to join the moat that surrounded and protected the gardens, forming winding stretches of water with mist above it, sometimes as wide as a lake, sometimes as narrow as the ornamental streams contrived in parks. The steep, sloping banks, past which the clear water was rippling, ran but a few fathoms distant from the windows. Francine had been engaged in musing on the black outlines of several old willow stumps against the surface of the water, and in noticing with indifferent eyes the uniform curve that a light breeze was giving to the willow branches. Suddenly, she thought she saw one of these shapes moving on the mirror of the water in the spontaneous and uneven fashion by which some living thing is revealed the shape howsoever dim it was seemed to be that of a man at first francine gave the credit of her vision to the broken outlines produced by the moonlight falling through the leaves but very soon a second head appeared and yet others showed themselves in the distance the low shrubs along the bank swayed violently up and down till francine saw along the whole length of hedge a gradual motion like that of a huge indian serpent of fabulous proportions here and there among the tufts of broom and the brambles points of light gleamed and danced redoubling her attention marcheterre's sweetheart thought she recognized the first of the black forms that moved along the quivering growth on the bank however vague the outlines of the man the beating of her heart convinced her that in him she saw marcheterre a gesture made it clear to her impatient to learn if some treachery or other were not lurking behind this mysterious proceeding she rushed in the direction of the court when she came into the middle of the green space she looked from the two wings of the house 
to the banks on either side without discerning any trace whatever of a furtive movement on the side which faced the inhabited wing a faint rustling sound reached her as she lent an attentive ear to it it sounded like a noise made by some wild creature in the silence of the forests she shuddered but she did not tremble young and innocent as she yet was her curiosity swiftly prompted a stratagem she saw the coach and ran to crouch within it only raising her head with all the caution of a hare that has the sound of the far-off hunt ringing in her ears she saw p miche come out of the stable there were two peasants with the shuan and all three were carrying trusses of straw these they spread out so as to form a long sort of shake-down in front of the inhabited pile of buildings that ran parallel with the embankment where the stunted trees were growing the shuans were still marching there with a noiselessness which revealed the fact that some horrible plot was being prepared you are giving them straw as if they really were to sleep there that's enough piamiche that's enough muttered a hoarse voice which francine recognized and aren't they going to sleep there retorted piamiche with a stupid hoarse laugh but are you not afraid that the gars will be angry he went on in a voice so low that francine caught nothing of it oh well he will be angry Marcheterre replied in rather louder tones but all the same we shall have killed the blues there is a carriage here he went on we must put that away piamiche drew the coach by the pole and Marcheterre gave such a vigorous push to one of the wheels that francine found herself inside the barn and just about to be locked up in it before she could think over her situation piamiche went to help to fetch the hogshead of cider which was to be served out to the soldiers of the escort by the orders of the marquis marcheterre walked the length of the coach on his way out to shut the door when he felt a hand that stopped him by a clutch at the long hair of his goatskin he recognized the eyes whose sweetness exercised a power over him like magnetism and stood still for a moment as if spellbound francine sprang hastily out of the coach and spoke in the aggressive tone that is so wonderfully becoming to a woman in vexation pierre what news did you bring as we came to that lady and her son what are they doing here why are you hiding yourself i want to know everything her words brought an expression into the Schuans' face which Francine had never yet known there. The Breton drew his innocent mistress to the threshold of the door. He turned her so that the white rays of the moonlight fell upon her, and made his answer, gazing at her the while with terrible eyes. Yes, by my damnation, Francine, I will tell you but only when you have sworn to me on this rosary and he drew out a worn string of beads from under his coat-skin swear upon this relic that you know he went on to answer me truly one single question 
francine blushed as she looked at the rosary some lover's keepsake between them doubtless it was on this the shuan went on shaken with emotion that you swore he did not finish for the peasant girl laid her hand on the lips of her wild lover to enjoin silence upon him is there any need for me to swear asked she he took his mistress gently by the hand looked at her for a moment and went on is the young lady whom you serve really mademoiselle de verneuil francine stood motionless with her arms at her sides with bowed head and drooping eyelids pale and confused she is a baggage marcheterre went on in a terrible voice the pretty hand tried once more to cover his lips at that word but this time he recoiled from her in fury the little breton maid no longer saw her lover before her but a wild beast in all his natural ferocity his brows were drawn into a heavy scowl his lips curled back in a snarl that showed his teeth he looked like a dog defending his master i left you a flower and i find you garbage ah why did i leave you you are come here to betray us to deliver up the gar these phrases were roared rather than articulated terrified as francine was she dared to look this savage in the face at this last reproach raised her eyes like an angel's to his and answered quietly that is false i will stake my salvation on it these are some of your lady's notions he lowered his head in his turn she took his hand came close to him caressingly and said pierre why are we going on like this listen i don't know if you yourself understand something of all this for i can make nothing of it but remember that this beautiful and noble young lady is my benefactress and yours too we live together almost like sisters no harm of any sort ought to come to her so long as we are with her not while we are both alive at any rate so swear to me that this shall be so for you are the only person here whom i can trust i am not the master here the shuan replied in a sullen tone his face grew dark she took his great hanging ears and gently twisted them as if she were caressing a cat well then promise me to use all the power you have to ensure the safety of our benefactress she continued seeing that he relented somewhat he shook his head as if dubious of his success a gesture that made the breton girl shudder the escort arrived on the causeway at this critical moment the tramp of the men and the clanking of their weapons woke the echoes of the courtyard and apparently put an end to marcheterre's hesitation perhaps i shall succeed in saving her said he to his mistress if you can keep her in the house and whatever may happen he added stay there with her 
and keep the most absolute secrecy without that i will engage for nothing i promise she answered in her terror very well go in in with you at once and let no one see that you are frightened not even your mistress yes the shuan looked at her in a fatherly way she pressed his hand and fled with the swiftness of a bird towards the flight of steps while he slipped into the hedge he had left like an actor who rushes to the wings as the curtain rises on a tragedy do you know merle this place looks to me like a regular mouse-trap said gerard as they reached the chateau yes i see that perfectly well the captain answered thoughtfully both officers hastened to post sentinels so as to secure the causeway and the gate then they cast suspicious glances over the embankments and the lie of the land about them pshaw said merle we must either frankly trust ourselves in these barracks or keep out of them altogether let us go in answered gerard released from duty by a word from their commander the soldiers quickly stacked their guns in conical piles and pitched their colors in front of the litter of straw with the cask of cider standing in the center of it they broke up into groups and a couple of peasants began to serve out rye bread and butter to them the marquis came forward and took the two officers into the salon as gerard reached the top of the flight of steps he took a look at the two wings of the house where the aged larches were spreading their black branches and called beaupier and clay d'equerre to him both of you go and reconnoitre the gardens and search the hedges do you understand and then post a sentinel in front of your line of defence may we light a fire before we set out on our prowl adjutant said clay d'equerre gerard nodded you see it for yourself clay d'equerre said beaupier the adjutant made a mistake in poking himself into this hornet's nest if Boulot had been commanding us he would never have run us into this corner it is as if we were in the bottom of a pot here what an ass you are exclaimed clay d'equerre you the king of sharp fellows can't guess that this sentry-box of a chateau belongs to the amiable individual for whom our gay merle the most accomplished of captains is tuning his pipe he's going to marry her that's as easy to see as a well-polished bayonet and such a woman as that will be a credit to the demi-brigade true answered beaupier and you might add that there is good cider here but i can't drink it with any relish in front of those beastly hedges i seem to see la rose and vieux chapeau coming to grief in the ditch up yonder on la pelerine i shall never forget poor old la rose's cue as long as i live it bobbed up and down like a knocker on a front door beaupier my friend you have too much imagination for a soldier you ought to make poetry at the national institute 
if i have too much imagination beaupier answered you yourself have hardly any it will be a good while before you come to be consul the laughter of the troop put an end to the dispute as clay decaire found no answering shaft for his adversary in his quiver are you ready to make your round i myself am going to take to the right said beaupier all right i will take the left his comrade answered but hold on a moment i want to drink a glass of cider my throat is all glued together like the sticking plaster that covered hulot's best hat unluckily the perilous embankment where francine had seen the men moving lay on the left-hand side of the gardens which clay decaire was neglecting to beat up at once war is altogether a game of chance as girard entered the salon and greeted the company he gave a searching look round at the men of whom it was composed his suspicions recurred to his mind in greater force he went suddenly up to mademoiselle de verneuil and spoke to her in a low voice i think you ought to make a retreat at once we are not safe here can you fear anything in my house she asked laughing you are safer here than you would be in mayenne a woman always answers unhesitatingly for her lover the two officers were less uneasy and just then in spite of some unimportant remarks about an absent guest whose consequence was sufficient to keep them waiting for him the company went into the dining-room thanks to the usual silence which prevails at the beginning of a meal mademoiselle de verneuil could pay some attention to this meeting so strange under the present circumstances she herself had in a manner been the cause of it it had come about through the ignorance which women who treat everything according to their own caprice are wont to bring to the most critical actions in life one fact suddenly struck her with surprise the two republican officers towered above the others by the impressive character of their features their long hair was drawn away from the temples and gathered at the nape of the neck into a huge plaited tail leaving the outlines of their foreheads clearly defined in a way that gives an appearance of sincerity and dignity to a young face their threadbare blue uniforms with the worn red facings their epaulettes flung behind their shoulders in many a march plainly showing a lack of greatcoats throughout the army even among the officers themselves everything about them in fact brought out the strong contrast between these two military men and the others who surrounded them ah she said to herself this is the nation this is liberty then she glanced round the royalists and there is the one man a king and privilege she said she could not help admiring merla's face 
the gallant soldier so completely resembled the typical french trooper who can whistle an air as the bullets fall thick about him and who cannot forego a gibe at a comrade who meets with an awkward accident gerard was impressive in his sternness and self-possession he seemed to be one of those republicans from conviction who were to be met with in such numbers at this time in the french armies an element of noble unobtrusive devotion that lent to them an energy never known before there is another of these men with a large outlook said mademoiselle de vernoy to herself they are the masters of the present on which they take their stand they are shattering the past but it is for the benefit of the future the thought made her melancholy because it had no bearing upon her lover she turned towards him that a different feeling of admiration might make reparation for her tribute to that republic which she already began to hate she saw the marquis surrounded by men fanatical and daring enough and sufficiently keen speculators to attack a triumphant republic in the hope of reinstating a dead monarchy a proscribed religion princes errant and defunct privileges his scope of action she thought is no less than that of the other he is groping among the ruins of a past out of which he seeks to make a future her imagination fancy-fed hesitated between the new and the old ruins her conscience clamoured in her that the one was fighting for a man and the other for a country but by means of sentiment she had arrived at the point which is reached by the way of reason when it is recognized that the king is the same thing as the country the marquis heard the sound of a man's footsteps in the salon and rose to go to meet him he recognized the belated guest who tried to speak to him in surprise at his company but the gar hid from the republicans a sign by which he desired the stranger to take his place at the banquet and to keep silence when the two republican officers examined the features of their hosts the suspicions at first entertained by them awoke afresh their prudence was aroused at the sight of the abbe goudin's ecclesiastical vestments and the outlandish costumes of the Shuans. Their heed redoubled. They discovered amusing contrasts between the talk and the manners of the guests. If some of them showed symptoms of ultra-republicanism, the bearing of certain others was just as pronouncedly aristocratic. Certain glances exchanged between the Marquis and his guests, which they detected, certain ambiguous words incautiously dropped and more than either of these things the round beards which adorned the throats of several guests who unsuccessfully tried to conceal them by their cravats apprised the officers of the truth which struck them both at the same moment 
they communicated the same thought to each other by the same glance for madame de gois had cleverly separated them and they had to fall back upon the language of the eyes the situation required that they should act adroitly they did not know whether they were the masters of the chateau or whether they had been snared in a trap they had no idea whether mademoiselle de vernoy was a dupe or an accomplice in this inexplicable affair but an unforeseen occurrence hurried matters to a crisis before they could fully recognize its gravity the newly arrived guest was one of those men squarely built in every way with a high-coloured complexion who fling their shoulders back as they walk who seem to make a flutter in the atmosphere round about them and to be of the opinion that every one needs must take more than one look at them in spite of his noble birth he had taken life as a joke which must be made the best of and though he had a devout veneration for himself he was good-natured well-mannered and witty after the manner of those gentlemen who having finished their education at court have retired to their estates whereon even after the lapse of twenty years they will never believe that they have grown rusty men of this description say and do the wrong thing with assured self-possession they talk rubbish in a lively way show no little skill in fighting shy of good fortune and take incredible pains to run their heads into nooses he made up for lost time by plying his knife and fork in a way which showed him to be a stout trencherman and then gave a look round at the company at the sight of the two officers his surprise was redoubled he directed a questioning look at madame de gois who only replied by indicating mademoiselle de verneuil when he set eyes on the siren whose beauty was beginning to lay to rest the thoughts which madame de gois had at first aroused in the minds of the guests one of those insolent and derisive smiles that seemed to convey a whole scandalous chronicle broke over the countenance of the stout stranger he bent and whispered to his neighbor two or three words that remained a mystery for marie and the officers as they traveled from ear to ear and from mouth to mouth till they reached the heart of him into whom they must strike death the vendean and chouan chiefs turned their scrutiny upon the marquis of montauran with merciless curiosity madame de gois's eyes were radiant with joy as they travelled from the marquis to the astonished mademoiselle de verneuil the anxious officers seemed to consult each other as they awaited the upshot of this extraordinary scene then in a moment the knives and forks in all hands ceased to move silence prevailed in the place and all eyes were concentrated upon the gare a terrific burst of fury had turned the flushed and passionate face to the hue of wax 
the young chief turned towards the guest who had set this squib in motion and said in a deep smothered voice death of my soul count is that true he demanded on my honor the count answered bowing gravely the marquis lowered his eyes for one moment but he raised them immediately to turn them once more upon marie she was watching the struggle closely and received that deadly glance i would give my life he muttered to have my revenge at this moment madame de gouin understood these words from the mere movement of his lips and smiled at the young man as one smiles at a friend who is about to be delivered from his despair the general scorn depicted upon all faces for mademoiselle de vernoy raised the indignation of the two republicans to the highest pitch they rose abruptly what do you desire citizens asked madame de gouin our swords citoyenne girard replied ironically you do not require them at table said the marquis coolly no but we are going to play at a game that you understand said girard as he reappeared we shall see each other a little closer here than we did at la pelerine the company remained struck dumb the courtyard rang at that moment with a volley fired all at once and in a way that sounded terribly in the ears of the two officers they both rushed to the flight of steps and saw about a hundred shuans taking aim at the few soldiers who had survived the first round of firing and shooting them down like hares these Bretons were coming up from the bank where Marcheterre had stationed them at the risk of their lives, for during these manoeuvres, and after the last shots were fired, a sound was heard through the cries of dying men. Several shoeins had dropped like stones into the depths of the water which eddied round about them. Piamiche took aim at Gérard. Marcheterre covered Merle captain the marquis said coolly repeating to merle the words that the republican had spoken about him you see that men are like meddlers they ripen on straw he waved his hand to show the captain the whole escort of blues lying on the blood-drenched litter where the shuins were dispatching the living and stripping the dead with incredible rapidity I was quite right when I told you that your men would never reach La Pelerine, added the Marquis, and I think that your skull will be filled with lead before mine is. What do you say? Montauran felt a hideous craving to slake his anger. His own taunts of the vanquished, the cold-blooded cruelty, the very treachery of this military execution, carried out without his orders but to which he now gave his countenance satisfied the inmost wishes of his heart in his wrath he would fain have destroyed all france 
the mangled blues and their surviving officers all of them guiltless of the crime for which he demanded vengeance were in his hands like so many cards which the gambler gnaws to pieces in his despair i would rather perish in the same way than gloat over it as you do said Girard. he looked at the naked blood-stained corpses of his men murdered he cried and after this cowardly fashion like louis the sixteenth sir the marquis retorted sharply there are mysteries in the trial of a king which you sir will never comprehend said gerard haughtily bring a king to trial cried the marquis now beside himself wage war against france said gerard contemptuously preposterous folly said the marquis parricide the republican retorted regicide what are you going to pick a quarrel in the last minute of your life cried merle gaily true said gerard coldly then turning to the marquis sir he said if you mean to put us to death at least do us the favor to shoot us at once just like you the captain put in always in a hurry to be done with a thing but when one sets out on a long journey my friend and there is to be no breakfast the next morning one has supper first proudly and without a word gerard sprang towards the wall Piamiche leveled his musket at him and glanced at the impassive marquis he construed the silence of his chief as a command and the adjutant-major fell like a tree marcheterre rushed up to share this fresh spoil with piamiche and they wrangled and croaked above the yet warm corpse like two famished ravens if you like to finish your supper captain you are at liberty to come with me said the marquis who wished to keep merle for an exchange of prisoners the captain went back with the marquis mechanically murmuring in a low voice as if he were reproaching himself it is that she-devil of a light of love who is at the bottom of all this what will hulot say light of love exclaimed the marquis in a smothered voice then there is no doubt about what she really is the captain had apparently dealt a death-blow to montauran who followed him pale haggard exhausted and with tottering steps End of section thirteen.